Wonderful good afternoon and welcome to Talking It Through Biblically with Senior Pastor and Teacher Alan Lee. Pastor Lee, welcome to Talking It Through Biblically in 2007. Amen, Kino. This is number one in Talking It Through Biblically, 2007. So how many more we have to go through? Well, we've got 50, what, how many more weeks? 52 weeks to go. <laughs> uh, but we're thankful uh, for the opportunity of being able to share the Word of God with you once again. Good afternoon, my friends. It's a blessing to be here with you again on Talking It Through Biblically on your excellence in Christian broadcasting over ECB. As we begin this new year, again, we want to thank you for your faithfulness towards us in praying and supporting us in 2006. And of course, we uh, trust that you might continue to do so in 2007 and in fact, until our blessed Lord returns. Truly, we can say with the um, biblical author, Ebenezer, hitherto has, to God, has God helped us. And that is our testimony today. God has done great things for us. We have a lot of uh, challenges in the ministry, but we thank God that he has always given us victory. We thank God for those whom he has given to work with us. We thank the Lord for Kino and his commitment to this ministry here. And we ask your continued prayer for him and his family in the coming year as well. We thank God for all of the members of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church and in other local assemblies uh, uh, in the Bahamas who, has, who have been such a blessing in supporting us and, and praying for us. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, just before we get into our discussion today, and as Kino mentioned, our focus is going to be on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a fantastic chapter. I've sort of entitled this initial uh, exposition, A New Look for a New Year, because in this chapter, Paul focuses on what it means to be a new creation in Christ and what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And we will be looking at these aspects from the text but let's begin uh, this program and this year uh, with a time of prayer. Please bow with me if you are able to, wherever you may be, at home. If you're driving, please don't close your eyes. If you are in the hotel uh, room, uh, you can pray along with us or in a hospital and on your boat, wherever it may be. We ask you to just pause for a moment and join me as we go before the throne of grace. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today with much joy in our hearts because we look back over 2006 and even long before that and we recognize your good hand upon us in so many ways. You have blessed us in so many different ways, uh, giving us an evidence of your continual love and care and protection and provision for us. You are a good God, a faithful God, and we praise you today. And we ask as we enter this new year that we might do so with the one sole determination of glorifying you in all that we do. We pray that for those of us who are Christians, we may seek to grow to be more like Christ on a day-by-day -day basis. Our Father, we pray that you might give us the 
encouragement, the motivation, the power, the grace that we need to draw near to you so that you will draw near to us. And because we know that when we do this, we get more knowledge of you, we come to know you better, more intimate, and as a result, we are transformed from glory to glory. Thank you for your word and the Holy Spirit who uh, illuminates us as we read and study the word and causes us to understand that word, and then he energizes us to be able to put it into practice. Thank you for this country in which we live, for the freedom of being able to worship you and to study your word and to gather together to praise you with others of like conviction. Lord, we know that around the world there's so many of your people who are under persecution if they do such things. And we bring them before you right now for the persecuted church, for the suffering church. Our Father, we ask that they, each member individually right now, might experience your hand of blessing and comfort and care and protection. Give them the encouragement that you are with them, no matter how difficult the situation may be. And so as we approach your word today, we pray, Lord, that you might open our eyes so that we might behold wonders out of your word and then you might give us the grace and encouragement and, and the power that we need to do whatsoever you would say unto us. We ask as we give you our thanks in our Savior's name. Amen. Now, I want you to prepare for this study today. And you do this by getting your Bible. As you know, if you've listened to Talking It Through Biblically, it is our desire for you to look directly into the Word because as we continue to say, and we will repeat it again and again, God has promised to bless his word, not what we say about his word. So please get your Bible and be ready to follow along with us. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. And I think you're going to be thrilled and excited as you go to this passage and see what God has for us in this passage. Um, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to get your Bible. We're going to take a break and then when we come back, I hope you have your Bibles open before you. If you can, have a pen or pencil and some paper if you want to take notes. And remember the telephone number here, 326-0800 and 322-7846. 326-0800, We invite you to call in any time during the program to ask questions or make comments, uh, we'd be very glad to uh, speak with you and to dialogue with you. So get your Bibles ready. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5. And just after we come back, we'll get into our study as we look at a new look for new year. Easy, easy be, easy, easy be, excellence in Christian once again, welcome back to Talking It Through Biblically, a new look for a new year. Pastor Lee. Each year, fashion designers vie for the reputation of being the one who would set the trend for the year ahead. And of course, there are merchants who vie for being known as the first to carry the line of the trend to set a designer. And of course, there are consumers who vie to be the first who buy from the merchant, who vies to be the first, who buys from the designer, who vies to be the trendsetter for the year. They all want to be the first to have the new look for the new year. Today, I want to propose to you, based on the passage we're looking at in 2 Corinthians 5, that it is also a new look 
which distinguishes the true believer from the mere professing believer. But this new look begins not with outward appearance, as it is with fashion designers, but rather with an inner mindset, a perspective based on a knowledge of and obedience to the Word of God. And you will see that I will be emphasizing the need for us to know the Word of God again and again over this program. And that is also true as we look in this passage. Paul deals with this concept of a new look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Now, he is in the midst of describing his motivation for serving God. And this is such a tremendous passage of Scripture. That's why I hope that you have your Bibles with you. Now, I'm going to go through it verse by verse. In fact, in some cases, phrase by phrase and even word by word. Because we want you to understand that God has promised to bless his word, not what we say about his word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 now, looking at verse 11. Quote, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Paul is making an important statement here. He's giving the basis for his strong offensive in proclaiming the word of God. We know what it is to fear the Lord, and so we try to persuade men. Now, by the word fear here, Paul does not mean terror or fright or being afraid, but rather the word means to be in awe of or to reverence or to respect. This is not the idea of someone doing something because they are afraid of being clobbered or punished by an angry God, but rather it's because they love, respect, and reverence him and want to please and honor him by what they do. And there's a big difference between the two. You see, the traditional way of defining fear of God is that something it goes something like this. If I don't behave, God's going to beat me. If I don't behave, God will hurt me. However, the biblical definition of fear is somewhat different. It is that if I don't behave right, then I will, I will hurt God and bring sorrow to his heart. Now, again, this is an important principle, so let me repeat it. The traditional way of defining fear of God is that if I don't behave, God will hurt me. But the biblical definition of fear, especially in keeping with this passage, is that if I don't behave, then I will hurt God and bring sorrow to his heart. You see, according to Job, this is the kind of fear that produces wisdom. That's Job 28, 28. This is the kind of fear, according to Solomon, that produces knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It is not the kind of fear or terror or dread. It's a fear that causes one to avoid evil and to do good because he knows that he honors or pleases God. Proverbs 16, 6 tells us that. This is the kind of fear that prevents one from doing what would bring pain, sorrow, or disappointment to the heart of someone they love. In this case, speaking of God. 
And so Paul is stating this truth in the light of his previous discourse on appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, in an earlier verse, he said that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Greek word bima, to give an account of what we have done while on earth. Now again, this judgment seat of Christ is often misunderstood. Many see it as a place of dread, where God is going to condemn us for doing things wrong. But that's not the concept of the Bema in the New Testament. It was rather, the Bema is a place where you go to receive war rewards. It's determined the rewards you will get, not the judgment you will be offered because of what you've done wrong. But rather, is rewards for what you will do right. That's the Bema that he's talking about here. Paul says his life and ministry are committed to warning, encouraging, and instructing men and women how to prepare to face this momentous event in a God-honoring way. And to do so, he says, one must have a new and different perspective on life. And he's talking to believers. What he is saying is then, is that we need to look at life differently than when we were non-Christians. We need to look at life differently than we used to before we became Christians. Now, in the immediate context here, by way of application, Paul is saying, we are going to apply it to the beginning of a new year now. Paul is saying that we need to have a new look for a new year. Or we could put it this way, we need to have a new outlook for a new year, a new perspective. In essence, the apostle is saying, we must now see things from God's perspective, not our own. Notice what he says. What, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Now, he's talking to the Corinthians who are questioning his, his uh, qualifications to be an apostle. And he says, what we are is plain to God. God sees me through and through. And he says, I hope you see me in the same way. Now, a way of translating that in another would be like this. To God, we are already known through and through. And we hope that in your conscience also, we will come to be as completely known. In other words, he says, I want you to know me and to understand me the way God knows me and the way God understands me. Now, my friends, think about that. Suppose your closest friend even your wife or husband, your boss, knew you the way God knows you, would you be able to look that person in the face? But that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying he wants these Christians to know him as clearly as God knows him. He wants to be seen for who he is. No hypocrisy, nothing hidden at all. You see, in context, Paul is attempting to persuade or convince the Corinthians of his own sincerity and genuineness as a, as a Christian apostle. You see, some were questioning his credentials. Some were questioning his character. Some were questioning his conduct. Oh, yes. Even the apostle Paul used to be challenged in these areas and questioned by individuals. And so he says, in effect, God knows me through and through. He knows my heart. He knows my motives. He knows my intentions. And I want you to know them as well. He says he knows that God knows and I am an authentic an apostle. 
an authentically qualified apostle. And I hope you will come to that same conclusion as you evaluate and inspect my life and ministry. Paul is saying, I am an authentic apostle and completely sincere and truthful in who I am and what I do. I am not a hypocrite, nor a charlatan. God knows me and he sees me exactly as I am and I hope you will also. My friend, that's quite a thing for a Christian leader to say. What do you think would happen if it were possible for all members of every church congregation to see into the heart of each pastor, each elder, each teacher. I wonder how many of us will last as a leader. But this is what Paul is saying. We must live such a pure life in the sight of God that anybody could look at us and know that we are true to him. Now, this is not a selfish desire on the part of Paul to vindicate himself, but rather it is a strong determination not to allow such false accusations by unscrupulous men to deter or hinder his ministry for Christ, because that's what was happening. He was being attacked by false teachers, and they were making these false, char these false charges. Charles Barclay is a Greek scholar, and this is what he says about this passage. Quote, A man's message will always be heard in the context of his character. Do you understand that? Are you listening to this? A man's message will also be heard in the context of his character. That is why the preacher and the teacher must be beyond justifiable suspicion. We have to avoid not only evil, but the very appearance of evil, lest anything make others think less, not of us, but of the message which we bring. And of course, see what he's saying is here. If we are not pure in our motives as teachers or leaders, now this applies not only to pastors and teachers and uh, individuals who stand up in the, in the pulpit, but to Sunday school teachers, to Awana leaders, choir directors, to anyone, head of a ministry. Anyone who's before the people of God saying that I represent God, I am representing Jesus Christ, and I'm teaching his word. Paul is talking to all such people. Your motives have to be clean, must, must be pure. Otherwise, when you're found out, it's not only you who would be disgraced, but the word of God and God himself. That's why Paul in the book of Titus tells us that we should adorn ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must look, make the gospel look good as it were. That's what he's talking about here. Now, now this is something uh, that uh, I had a personal experience with some time ago. There, uh, the message had a very personal and practical application in my own life and ministry. And God spoke to me through it as I was actually going through a situation which I had to struggle with for some time, you see. Two people were told some very terrible things about me. One of them, a pastor friend, however, drew me aside while we were attending a function, and this is what he said to me. Now, this is a time when even some of my closer friends were believing some of the things that were being said. He said, Brother Allen, if I didn't know you and if we hadn't worked together in the things of the Lord over the past few years, I would have been tempted and even persuaded to believe what I was told. 
But he said, I know you. And I know that you could not be the same person that was being described to me. What's going on when this what's going on with this person? He asked. Now that was a tremendous blessing and a real confirmation of what Paul was talking about here. Do you know what was happening to me just then? I was actually experiencing what Paul was hoping he would experience from the Corinthians. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Or in the words of the other translation, to God we are already known through and through, and hope that in your conscience too we will come to be as completely known. The challenge and obligation, of course, are to be certain that our lives and character do in fact match our confession. And so, my friends, I'm asking you, as a Christian, as you enter 2007, do your character, does your character match your confession of faith in Christ? Now, Paul is gently leading his readers to see that what is necessary to truly fear God is to have a right perspective on things. In fact, he says, one must have a new perspective on life. Now, this is what he picks up in verse 12. Now, we're going to be looking at this when we come back. We're going to take a break again. Paul is leading his readers to see what is necessary to truly fear God. And he says that is that we must have a right perspective, a right look on things. In fact, he says one must have a new perspective on life altogether. We're going to pick that up, pick that up at verse eleven or verse twelve when we come back. But again, we encourage you if you'd like to make a comment or ask a question as we go through this passage together, give us a call three two six zero eight hundred three two two seven eight four six. We take a break. Once again, it is a joy to welcome you to the first Talking It Through Biblically in 2007 with Senior Pastor and Teacher Alan Lee as Pastor Lee continue with this topic today, A New Look for a New Year. As I mentioned just before our break, Paul is gently leading his readers to see that what is necessary to truly fear God is to have a right perspective on life. Look at verse 12, 2 Corinthians 5. Quote, We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, this is, a, this is a tremendous passage of Scripture here. So please, I encourage you just to read it and chew the cut, as it were, as we go through these. These are wonderful words of life here. Notice the phrase in verse 12. He says, So that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. In other words, Paul's intent, his purpose and objective for writing this passage of Scripture is to encourage and challenge us as believers to see things differently from those who are not believers. You see, unbelievers take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. The implication being that we as believers 
are to take pride not in what is seen, the outward, but rather from what is in the heart. In other words, we are to see things the way God sees them because, you know, God does not look at the outward. He looks at the inner. So Paul is saying we have to have the same perspective on things, the same view on things as God has. We are to see things the way God sees them. That's the only reason, Paul says, we should feel good about ourselves as Christians. When we view life the way God views it. He then goes on to explain the reason or the basis for this truth. Look at verse 14 now. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Oh, my friends, again, this is a tremendous truth here. Please don't go too quickly over this. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This is a marvelously fantastic statement given us by the Spirit of God. Paul gives the first of two motivations for serving Christ as a believer. He says first, Christ's love compels us. The King James Version has it this way, the love of Christ constrains us. Now this word constrains or compels is from the Greek word it means to press or to hold together or to hold fast. To press, to hold together, or to hold fast. And so Paul is saying that Christ's love for him presses or compels him to hold fast to his ministry and service for Christ. Meaning, of course, it presses or compels him to hold fast to Jesus Christ. Notice, he does not say it's Christ's teachings, as marvelous as they are, that does this. He does not say it is an example, as beautiful and perfect as that may be. But rather, he says it's Christ's love for him. And that motivates and compels him to remain faithful and have the right perspective on love, on, on life. In other words, Paul is responding to God's love with his love for God. And that's exactly what God is looking for us as we enter 2007. He wants us to respond to his love with our love for him. Just as total, just as committed as his love is for us. Now Paul gives two evidences of Christ's love for us in this passage. First he says, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all die. This is the gospel message, as we say. This is the evangelistic message of the gospel. He's teaching the same thing here as he teaches in Romans 6. He says, we believers have died with Christ. Now, listen carefully, because this is a complex truth. It's a wonderful, beautiful truth, but it's also a mystery. Christ died in such a way that all who believe in him also die in and with him. In other words, Christ's death becomes our death, the death of the believer. And he died such a death because of his love for us. Why did he die for us? Because of his love. But that death was such a magnificent death that God sees Christ's death as our death also. We died with him when he died. 
died to the condemnation of sin, died to the power of sin. You see, his love, God's love, Christ's love, compels Paul not only to faithfulness and service, but also to formulate an entirely new and radical outlook and perspective on life. And this is coming to the core of the message now. It is God's love that took a hold of Paul. And then Paul responded to that love with sacrificial love himself. And as a result of that, Paul has an entirely different outlook on life. This is a kind of outlook and perspective that we need also to adopt and to maintain as we enter the new year, 2007. Christ's death for us must impact our perspective on life. My friends, when have you really thought about how the death of Christ impacts your life today and the way you live? You see, too many of us tend to look back at the cross of Christ as a past event. And of course it was. However, that past event has ongoing, lasting consequences and impact. It should be impacting us today. So let me ask you again. How does the fact of the death of Christ for you fit into the plans that you have for the year 2007? Have you in any way in any way whatsoever inserted the impact, the effects, the results, the consequences of the death of Christ for you into your plans for 2007? Let me ask another way. What does Christ's love that motivated him to give his life for you motivate you to do in 2007? Does this fact of Christ dying for you impact upon your perspective for the new year in any way whatsoever? Paul is challenging us to the fact that that's the way it should be. We should have a new look in this new year. But notice, not only did Christ's love for us motivate him to die for us so that we might die with and in him, and also according to Romans 6, he died so that all those who die with him might also live for him. This is the lasting consequences. He died so that all those who die with him might also live for him. This purpose for his death is clearly stated in verse 15. And my friends, if you don't read any other passage of scripture in the new year, be sure you read this one if you are a believer. Listen now. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. What are you planning in 2007? Only for yourselves? He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Notice now, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Notice, Paul so desperately wants us to get this message that he states it both in a negative and a positive way. Now, my friends, this is an important verse of Scripture. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What plans are you making for Jesus Christ in your life in 2007? According to this verse, the only plans we should be making is for Jesus Christ, because we've died with him. But Paul gives it, from two perspectives, a negative and a positive. First, he says, God, Christ loved us so much that he died for us so that we might not live for ourselves. Now, 
That's radically different from our normal way of thinking, our natural way of thinking. Most of us are so self-centered that we only live for number one. That's us, me, myself, and I. You see, we, for the most part, live for ourselves. We do so by focusing on what it is that satisfies and pleases me, my pleasure, my prestige, my recognition, my acceptance, my position, my money, my wealth, my profit, my power, my family, my ministry, my service, my time, my vacation, my needs. It always is me, 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 my, 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 all the time. My friends, whenever we refuse to give up or sacrifice something that personally benefits us in order to do something for Jesus Christ, we can do for him and we know we must do it for him. You see, whenever we refuse to give up something that we're doing for ourselves in order to do something, or rather, to, in order to avoid doing something for Christ, we are living for ourselves. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, while it is true that God does, in fact, want us to take care of ourselves, there's no doubt about that. This passage teaches us that God does not want us to live for ourselves but he wants us to live for Christ. Our life belongs to him. And that's how we should view all that we do, all that we have. That is the perspective we must have, my friends, as believers, as we enter 2007. This is the new outlook we need for a new year. We must not live for ourselves. Now, do you need to readjust your plans for 2007 based on this passage? Who then does God want us to live for if not for ourselves? Paul is very clear and very precise. Notice what he says. Christ died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So there's no doubt who God wants us to live for. He does not want us to live for ourselves. He wants us to live for Christ. You talk about the purpose of life. Here it is. We don't have to go through all kinds of rigmaroos to find out what is our purpose for living. Our purpose for living is to live for Jesus Christ. Boom, bottom line, final, that's it. My friends, our only reason and purpose for living as believers is to live for the glory and honor of the one who died and rose again for us. Our own personal happiness, ease, and satisfaction must be given second place to the will and glory of God. Christ died to make this possible. Christ died for us so that we might live for him. Our life belongs to him. We must live with that perspective in view if we profess to believe in him at all. In fact, my friends, it's that very perspective which validates our profession of being a believer in the first place. Notice, we serve and worship a living Savior. Christ died and rose again so that those who believe in him might, as a result of that belief, be united to his death and resurrection so that they, we, can now live totally and absolutely for the honor, the praise, and glory of God through the power of that resurrected life. What a glorious message this is at the beginning of a new year. Believers then, my friends, are to be living a totally and radically different kind of life than they did when they were still unsaved. That's the perspective Paul is insisting on here. 
And once again, by way of application for us as we enter 2007, Paul is saying that we need this new outlook for this new year. Now, Paul gives the believer two things or two ways that God looks at us. This is what he says. Believers must look at things the way God looks at them for two reasons. Number one, fear of, fear of Christ that motivates us and the love of Christ that compels us. The fear of Christ that motivates us and the love of Christ that compels us. Combined, these result in our living for the glory of God rather than the satisfaction of self. Beloved, it is our reverence for Christ and his love for us that work together to give us the perspective and outlook on life that glorifies him. The new look that we need to have for 2007. Now, what is the result of this kind of lifestyle? And how do we know whether or not we are living it? Paul answered this question in verse 16. But we're going to take our final break. And again, we encourage you, if you'd like to uh, ask a question or make a comment, 326-0800, We come back and we look at the result of this kind of lifestyle just before we close. Take a break at this time. Easy, easy be, easy, easy be, excellence in Christian broadcasting. Welcome back to Talking It Through Biblically, and we just have about just approximately another uh, 10 to 11 more minutes to be with you here today. We're talking it through with a new look for a new year. Pastor Lee. Okay, what is the result of this new kind of lifestyle, this new outlook? that Paul is encouraging us to adopt. Paul gives us the answers question, verse 16. He says, quote, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Paul is stating what I call the new look principle. He says that as a believer, he does not any longer view, judge, or evaluate anyone purely from a natural, worldly, or outward point of view. His... His perspective toward life and others is entirely spiritual and otherworldly. He has an entirely new and radically different view of the world as well as people. He now sees everything from the perspective of the cross, from the perspective of the Christ that loved him so much that he died for him and gave him a purpose for living for someone other than himself, Jesus, who died for him. This is the look, my friends, we need to have as we enter 2007 as well. Paul illustrates this new look principle in the next phrase. He says, quote, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What he's saying is this, I once saw Christ only from the fleshly or outward perspective. I saw him as a poor peasant carpenter from the unpopular and despised town of Bethlehem. I saw him as one rejected by his own people and one who put to death by the humiliating means of crucifixion, reserved for the worst of criminals. I saw him purely from a human and natural point of view. I saw his followers as a bunch of rabble-rousers who needed to be locked up, and he gave himself to doing just that, as you know. But now Paul said this is no longer true since he became a Christian since he was redeemed. 
The Apostle Paul now says, I now see Christ from another perspective, from God's point of view. I now see that he was made poor so that I may be made rich, that he was born in Bethlehem because God said that that would be a sign of his messiahship, that he was despised and rejected of men, and that he was crucified for my sin. I now see his followers, of whom I am now one also, as being the true people of God, who needs to scatter to the ends of the earth with the message that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. And to this, Paul says, I have now given my entire life. That's how Paul views Christ, he says, as God does. I see him now, Paul says, as the divine Son of God. And as he will say a little further on his message, he says, I now see him as God reconciling the world unto himself. We will talk more about this next time, Lord willing. But Paul looks at people the same way now. He looks at Christ differently than he did before he became a Christian. Now, he says he looks at people differently also. He looks at them radically different than before he met Christ. He does not see them purely on the terms of their outward appearance any longer, their position, their wealth, or their poverty, their prestige, or other influence. No. Paul now sees them as beings for whom Christ died and rose again. He sees them as being people of inestimable worth and value in the sight of God. This is what Paul says in Romans 11. He says, I would be accursed. What he's actually saying, I would go to hell if it meant the salvation of my brethren in the flesh. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 11 and verse 1. Now, you see, that's the kind of perspective Paul is talking about. My friends, this is the kind of perspective we need as we enter 2007 as well. Is it possible? Is this attainable? Is it practical? Amazingly, my friend, Paul answers that it is. Not that it should be, but that it is. That this perspective of the one that he's talking about here, of Jesus Christ, and has died and risen with Christ. Notice what he says in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What glorious words as we enter 2007. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In other words, to put it in our, uh, in, in, to apply, uh, apply it for where we are today, we would say, listen, 2006 is gone. 2007 is here. Completely different. This is a statement of fact, not a suggestion or theory. 2006 is gone. Paul says the same thing with person. If you are in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. This is a divine reality. This is an unchangeable divine spiritual law. Now look at this verse. Therefore, this is both a summary and conclusion of what he has just said. It's not an explanation of the... It's also, by the way, an explanation of the new look principle. If... He says, this is the determining condition. Once met, the results are automatic. He says, if any man, this reveals the universal application. The stated truth and the blessing are true for all who meet this condition. In the context, any man means all believers. If anyone be in Christ, this is the determining position. Every believer in Christ is placed into Christ by a gracious supernatural act of God. 
His death becomes our death. His burial becomes our burial. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His new life and purpose for living becomes ours as well. As he lives in the power of his resurrected life only for the glory and honor of God, so are we to do. If this isn't true of us as profession, believers, beloved, then we are still in our sin. We are only looking on the outward as man looks at us, not at the heart as God looks at us. Notice Paul says he is a new creation. This is a transformed reality. Any and everyone in Christ is and must be a new creation. My friends, you cannot be in Christ and not be a new creation. It's impossible. If one is so, then so must be the other. That's the new perspective Paul is insisting that we believers put on as we enter 2007. We must live like new creations in Christ if we are born-again believers. Those who have been made alive from our former life of death so that we might live for Christ rather than for ourselves. In 2007, we must live like new creations in Christ. Notice he says, old things are passed away. This is what I call the definite loss of a genuine believer. The past is past, my friends. No one can be a new creation in Christ and continue to live as he did or she did before he or she became a Christian. This is, this is what died with Christ, the old life. The point here is that if you are in Christ, you cannot be living as you did before you were placed in Christ. That is the very point of this passage. If anyone is in Christ, old things are passed away. Not will pass away, not may pass away, but has passed away. Past tense, a deed done, a completed action. He says, behold, all things are become new. This is what I call the definitive present. It's new, radically different from the past. My friends, it's time for us to close out. But I want you to understand that this is what God desires us to be in 2007. Those who profess to be believers are those who are, have a perspective that they are living not for themselves, but for the one who died for them. And that we are to live with the compassion that compels us, even as the love of Christ compelled him to die for us. So must our love for him compel us to serve him. And so as our reverence, our worship of God, motivate us to be pure in our life. My friends, do you have this new outlook, this new look for a new year? If you've never placed faith in Christ, I trust that today, right now, you might say, yes, I admit that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that Jesus died in my place and that God raised him the dead to validate the fact that accepted Christ's death on my behalf and now I am trusting him as my savior you do that now and you can enter a new year, new year as a new creation as always this is Pastor Lee saying Sila think and act on these things